As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Chip Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Matt Goldman. Today we talked with Aman Man, the co-founder and CEO of Procurify. What'd you think? Yeah, this was really interesting. We talked about everything from having Mark Cuban as an investor and how they, they went about doing that um, to raising money out of Canada and also some customer acquisition, um, how they, they discovered their product in the early days. Um, what did you learn? Yeah, they also talked about perception and how important that is in the early days, both for presenting um, or painting the picture of what you want people to think of your company before you have customers or before you have product figured out, and also what that means internally for keeping your team motivated before you have that fit. So it was great to hear how they uh, straddled that and balanced it in their first couple of years. Let's get into it. 
All right. Well, tell us about Pure Curify. Sure. Uh, I mean, in the, the basic aspect of what the startup does, we, we support companies in managing their internal spending. So kind of a cost structure for their organization. Um, and that, that, that varies all the way from just making uh, a ping request to purchase something uh, to actually expenses. And then we move into further into the organization, which uh, goes to like approval chains and budget controls. Um, all the way to uh, buyers and suppliers communicating with each other. Was this something that you had experienced at a previous job or, um, so, yeah. or just kind of a pain point that you knew existed? Yeah, so uh, you know, I actually experienced it from you know, one step further back, which was more of the operational level. And, and what I found in organizations that I worked for was they were just a cluster mess uh, internally and weren't paying attention to their processes. And you know, all all most companies they're 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 looking on a one sided way, which is oh, we just need to close more deals or you know grow our revenue, but they don't focus on the internal pillars, um, which tends to have a lot of leaks and cracks. And so, um, one area that really interested me and focused was you know how are you spending your money? You know, like it takes so much to earn it. What are you doing with it? And that became an area that I, we saw that was really under, under, uh, utilized in, in the sense of the efficiency and effectiveness of the processes. So how did you kind of attack getting into the market? What was your, how did you get those initial customers? Uh, we faked it for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> like legitimately there's one thing i learned in the startup world which is like the key to any success for us here is like perception and reality you have to maintain your perception but you have to know where your reality is and we really for a long time we just we kind of pretended like we knew what we were doing until we knew what we were doing um so early on what we gained our first customer by just like uh, doing a presentation at some forum, we didn't have a product, but we said we could do this for you, and it was based around managing your spending and and, and the operation side of that. And uh, there was an aerospace company that said, "You know what? You sound like you know what you're doing." <laughs> so we said, "Oh shit! Now we better figure out what we're doing." And so we spent that. We were supposed to spend like three months with them and work on the project, and that ended up taking nine months, living off our credit card. All of that stuff, and um, but it was an amazing experience to really get in depth and learn. Because I, I literally would just go door to door after that with companies and just ask them. I'd pretend like I was a student, and you know, would you buy this? Do you have this pain point? And time and time again, just everywhere we went, it was the same issue. Um, th- there was nothing in the uh, there was nothing in the in the in the environment where they could afford a system. Because they were all archaic and expensive, like ERP, and then there there was nothing that had the the focus of of the end user. So that that became one of our you know really core focuses as we were growing was not just a functionality based system for the mid market, but really focusing on the end user. Because adoption is the biggest issue within these organizations for new for change management, right? Yeah, and I want to get into that, um, but I'm curious. You, you said you had an agreement for three months, and it took nine months. Yeah. Um, what did that agreement look like? And and you know, like what went wrong? I guess. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, like we were optimistic as hell, like thinking, like, oh yeah, we'll just like make something and they'll take it. And you realize when you're working with an organization hand on hand, you know their their perception and understanding of the scope changes daily. 
for what their needs are because they're just discovering it at the same time when they have no process. Hmm. And so we signed a, a, a TOR, which is a terms of reference, and you know that outlined our scope. And you know, of, of course, we threw in this like mumbo jumbo thing that said we own the product, and you know they're leasing it for a lifetime and so forth. And uh, and we gave them our terms of what we were going to achieve through uh, developing something, and, and that's where. But like as much as we would stick to the scope, they would every day continue to expand it, right? And and it gave us. Uh, from three months to nine months of really understanding what we were getting into. Um, and it gave us more time to really think about the market, the environment, the uh, process, and uh, you know just, just the overall understanding of the space. And when, as you were building the, the product, were you trying to sell it to other people or was this exclusively working with kind of your, your uh, yes. flagship company? Yeah. Exactly. So partly it was flagship. And at some point we just like said, you know, we need to start looking out at how others are taking this. And um, so we didn't even have a finished product. I would just literally take PSD files like so just screen caps and you couldn't click any buttons or anything. And I would just uh, go in pretending like I was still a student. Uh, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm from the school. I just want to ask you some questions. And then when I got in front of the right person, uh, I would try and sell them. Yeah, and I, and then I would just start pitching to them and trying to see if I could get them at a customer at some point when we had a product and, you know, kept them in contact. And then, uh, you know, it, it was a great learning experience about the environment and just, you know, face-to-face with potential customers. Do you still do face-to-face sales? Um, actually, uh, we, we, locally we don't do too much, but, you know, uh, so I would say like 98% of our customers are, uh, 99% of our customers are WebEx. How has how did you guys kind of transition from this pilot company um, into the needs of of making this a little bit more generic and and the needs of many companies or were the were the needs actually aligned from the beginning? Um, actually, you know, we dropped the um, the solution we created for the aerospace industry um, guys, and and we actually went back to the drawing board and really rediscovered ourselves because. That that was it. Like when we were ma- when we were just, when we were developing it for them, we realized we were going backwards huh. in the direction we were headed, um, and, and and we really went back and looked at how we were designing it, the technology we were using, and what was going to be the technology going forward in in a few years. And so we redesigned and and, and really created Procurify at that point, um, and. and and developed into what you call the you know more generic holistic view of of what purchasing is today. Cool. So, what was the next step for you guys in in your growth? Where did you find those initial customers after the aerospace industry? Yeah, I'll I'll be honest with you. We were with like one customer for almost a year because our product did not meet the market's needs. So we kind of had to live in that perception world okay. uh, for quite some time, and, and just sell it to to the world and to the to our you know to to bring team members on. Even you had to like really sell it because we knew where this market was going. We knew the opportunity we had, but the product took time to develop into. Um, not till uh, really beginning of uh, last year did we get into the the true market opportunity because that's when our product achieved a level of maturity where we could go after clients in a level that gave us a revenue uh, growth opportunity. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or 
invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. When did you know that you were at that point? Ooh, that's a great question. So, I mean, um, we knew some of, like, you know, after talking to multiple companies, like in 2013, we had brought on multiple companies, but a lot of them had dropped off. We could not support them mm. through onboarding process to through the future requirements. And we knew that we kind of really started to get a grasp of the things we needed required. Um, and then really around the end of 2013 is when we, we started to feel the market again. And we saw there was like, there was a tension that we were getting and there was that the need was growing faster than before. And so that's when we really pushed out into the market on an online basis. And, you know, had a, we have a great marketing team. They focused on content marketing, focused on uh, really the, uh, creating the awareness online. So when you're going through that period where you're saying perception so key and you can, you can keep up this, um, this appearance to people on the outside, how do you maintain it on the inside when you, you haven't figured out product quite yet. How do you keep the team motivated and going in the right direction? It's, it's like a house of cards. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. It's like, I was like, if you don't mind my language, shaking my pants half the time, like, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, <laughs> you know, like we need to keep this, uh, you know, the, this, this structure going. And, um, you know, you, you really have to be uh, motivated and, and honestly willing to take that risk at the same time because you know where you can go. But it was um, it was really about small wins and momentum. It didn't necessarily have to be around the customers. It could be ar- around launching a new feature, uh, getting our buzz, out, which is why the perception is great because whatever is going on in the inside world, when you feel the buzz from the outside world, it gives you motivation to keep going. And so we would find ways to get ourselves into contests or into pitches and, and, and into newsletters and, and, and you know, websites and just continue to talk about uh, what we're doing. And, and that kind of helped the buzz go. And, you know, we would and, and our culture is really awesome. Like I, I know everyone's got great culture, but like, you know, for us, it's about creating an environment where you really get to unlock your potential. So everyone got a chance to be a part of different environments. You know, we're a very happy go lucky kind of environment to really um, – uh, have a lot of freedom. So, so the, inv- the, the couple, the culture that we were creating and with the buzz we were creating outside in the world, uh, gave us that momentum to keep going, uh, until we were able to achieve the, the, the result we wanted. So when you're, you know, if you were going through this again, would you take the same approach building for one company or do you feel like it would have been better to just start with, you know, taking a step back and, and trying to look at what the industry needed? Um, you know what? I, I, I got to be honest. I, I really respect what we went through because it gave us. When I look out at, at at what companies are doing, sometimes I find they don't really get. They can you can look at the market, but if you're not talking to the customers, you really get. It's really hard to build something meaningful for those users to understand their pain because you can understand on a macro level like what the pains are going on. But like to really get in there and, and, and understand an individual's pain, that, that, that was really powerful for us. So what did it, um, what's been your biggest growth channel? Um, once you guys figured out the product market fit, people were interested, they're buying. 
Yes. What was the biggest channel that that kind of created the funnel for you guys? It was uh, it was honestly online content marketing. And so, what did that look like? So, I mean, you're blogging, right? Um, but was there a flow that so that you get them to the site? How did you capture them? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was always, you know, that, that part was always tweaking on, on, on making sure that when they would come to the site, it had the proper value proposition. You know, we really believe in, in not just, not just the, like, not just the problem we solve, but why we're solving it. You know, uh, I love St- um, Simon Sinek, who has the gr- one of my favorite all-time books, with, which is Start With Why. And I'm sure it's quite popular online. But, um, you know, really giving the message of why we're doing what we're doing, not what we're doing. And, and that really started to become really awesome online. And our voice was really getting strong in that direction. Um, and, and then, of course... Customer success, man. As soon as that customer came on, we we implemented some some systems uh, internally to to be able to capture. As soon as the customer comes on, we can communicate with them. We use a system called Intercom. They're they're freaking mm-hmm. awesome, and you know we we were able to immediately uh, uh, react to any um, questions or concerns a customer had as soon as they signed up. It wasn't via email. It was instant chat, and that term. That that honestly was so successful for us. Who are you selling to inside of a company? Um, typically, any management or C level uh, position. You know, operations, finance. Those are typically the type of guy uh, uh, type of positions we're we're looking at. So, what kind of content were you creating that that grabbed their attention? Um, honestly, it was super basic. It was just starting with what is it? What is a PO? What is indirect spending? What is direct spending? Because you know a lot of these people are very passionate and they come into the, the space and um, they want to make an improvement, but sometimes getting down they, they, you have to get down to the basics to build up, right? And so we were providing very simplistic content uh, that would just give the, 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 the true meaning of what it was. and they, they would just absorb that and then they would uh, jump into signing up. And how did the team? Look around that, uh, like our team. Yeah, the the content team that scaled that. Uh, it was like two people. So, are there any tips on like you know with not a lot of people creating a system that pumps out a lot of good content while also getting the most out of each piece? Yeah, honestly, it's trial and error. You you really got to try, try, try. You got to whatever you can throw out. You really got to, well, one, you really got to focus and understand your market. But, um, you know, at the same time, you've got to put something out there, learn from it, and then iterate on it again. And how do you track that? How do you know, like, what, how do you know what success is for a piece of content? Sure. I mean, you go through page views, Google Analytics, you're, you're, you're marking down the number of views you're getting, uh, any responses you're, that you're providing. Uh, so there's great tools, you know, and they're free to, to be able to measure a lot of that stuff. What, um, what's kind of next for you guys? What's the, what's the next step um, in growth for you? That's a great question. Um, that's the billion dollar question. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 very interesting because at the same time, you know, there's a few different layers to it. It's it's about continuing to focus on what our culture is here and making sure that 
the environment we're creating doesn't change as we try to push for growth because it, it is who we are. The other side is not forgetting our customers and the value we're trying to provide to them. Um, and another layer is, you know, we have, we're, we're taking on Goliath, you know, in every direction we look. And um, for us to make sure we're, we're putting together the right innovative steps and, 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 and uh, p- uh, products that, that can tackle them at lightning speed. And, and you know, that, 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 that takes into account our customers, takes into account our culture, and that provides us the opportunity to push out a product and products that can, that can tackle the market in that way. You know, we really want to be the thought leaders and build things that people have never done before. What advantage does being in Canada lend you? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, rain. <laughs> <laughs> I guess <laughs> long work days then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, you know, it, I guess diversity is really cool here. Uh, the government has a lot of credits they support you with. Um, you know, there's actually a lot of, I would say a lot of difficulty being out here. Uh, you know, experience, um, talent, uh, you know, fundraising, uh, you know, a lot of those are the very, you know, essence of a startup and it's very difficult to acquire that here. Why do you think so? Uh, the mat- maturity of this uh, startup ecosystem is still very new. Um, and, uh, you know, it's very, it's very tough. Uh, we're, uh, I would say Canada is a great country, but it's very risk adverse. Mm. So it's very hard to get those investors to understand because in the Valley, it's beautiful. They want you to take that risk. If you're not taking a big enough risk, if you're not if you're not excited enough, if you're not looking to to take down Goliath, they they they're not interested. And here it's like, you know, it's what's your bottom dollar? What's your revenue? You know, and, and, and that doesn't that doesn't paint the big picture. Not saying that we aren't learning and growing. I mean, you know, you got Hootsuite, Spotify, you've got a PO, a PO, plenty of fish that just sold, you know. So we are, it, it, it will come, but it's just going to take a lot longer. Do you think it's just a different mindset, um, one based on, on revenue rather than projection, um, that would, that, that raising outside, is, it's more of a, it's a different pitch that you need to make. Agreed. Yeah, 100%. And and I mean maybe the the valuations aren't there because you know you're in Silicon Valley you're always shooting for the moon, um, exactly. but isn't there something to building a business uh, that people maybe outside of the valley are are looking for, which are those basic business principles of revenue and uh, and growth inside of the business rather than inside of like users or acquisition something like that. True, true. So, you know, it, it, there is, uh, you know, a silver lining to the hard knock here. Uh, yeah. and it's, uh, that is that we are building a business and it's scalable. And if successful, can be really lucrative and valuable to uh, building something, you know, big. And, and that's, that, that, that is, you know, a revenue understanding, understanding the customer. It, it, for us to gain a customer with revenue, it takes a lot more work because every dollar we spend, we know how valuable that is. Right. So did you, you guys ended up raising, right? We did. We did. And who did you raise from? Um, if not in, in specifics, but was it, was it, uh, San Francisco? Was it Canada? Was it New York? Yeah. So pretty much majority of all our money is from the U S and, okay. um, okay. 
Uh, and then actually we just brought on uh, a new investor, which is he's phenomenal, Christoph Jans, who runs Point Nine Capital, um, you know, in Germany. And he he invested in Zendesk. He sold he had his own few businesses and uh, and sold them. Uh, and you know these guys they get it. You know it's so amazing to have uh, VCs that get what it takes to be a startup and build that. And then Nexus uh, Venture Partners as well. But what really catapulted us was lucky enough was um, early on we wrote on the wall. Uh, you know who were the advisors we would dream of having. And Mark Cuban we consider him a hustler. He built himself from nothing. And I you know there's always hearsay about you know, how he's done it. But like he, he was very motivational for us. And, you know, we had him on the wall and we had his email from a book. And that's when we, uh, one of our team members cold emailed him, uh, Amr, and, uh, he, re- he responded and we just started screaming like little schoolgirls, <laughs> Like really? And then, you know, like, but he's just so hardcore. He was just like, what's your numbers? What's your numbers? Like, what you- <laughs> like we just want you. And he's like, what's your numbers? <laughs> and so it was kind of crazy going back and forth. But I'll tell you, that guy, I don't think he ever sleeps. You can wow, email wow. him at 2 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 a.m. It doesn't matter. He will respond in like five minutes flat. It's crazy. So were, you, were you looking for him to invest or well, actually, um, to time, advise? Yeah, we were just looking for him to a- a- advise. We just wanted, I mean, the dream to have your like dream advisor a part of the company would be amazing. And uh, he actually asked us what we wanted and and we threw him a number and he's like, I'll watch you for three to six months. It was a lowball number. Like we didn't ask for him. We asked for literally nothing from him. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then he said, I'll watch you for three to six months. And three weeks later, we're like, screw it. He needs to know what we're doing. And so we emailed him again and he's like, uh, oh, you guys are annoying me. But uh, no, <laughs> he actually he actually ended up forwarding us to his team and said, "Fine, I'll take a look." And uh, and then uh, you know we worked with his team and they made a you know, a, a significantly better offer than we had uh, initially asked for, and uh, and they came on board, and that kind of catapulted us and gave gave us that momentum and perception as well, you know. So so Mark Cuban is an investor. He is. He is an investor. That's yes. really cool. That's a great story. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty exciting for us to, to have that. We literally, we used him in every way we could. As soon as he came on board, our website became his face. <laughs> our old website was a banner of Mark Cuban. No way. Yeah, sitting there in a Shark Tank chair, and he's like, and it just had a quote saying, I like this team. <laughs> and that's the type of selling we were doing, man. It was, it was hilarious, yes. So did, so did that actually work? Like, like, um, what, what was it like having going from being kind of nobody in Canada, if you will, um, to being endorsed by someone like Mark Cuban? Yeah, it was it was huge. It, it got us out of the gutter, to be honest with you. You know, we weren't just you know another startup trying to trickle our way through. It was like, hey, whoa, what are these guys doing? And it gave us that perception while we had really nothing <laughs> that we had something. Interesting. So, yeah, it, it was great. Uh, you know, and, and it was, it's awesome because as we were building the value for our customers, they would see that Mark Cuban was uh, part of it. And he's like, man, you know, I, I love that show. I watch it every Saturday. And uh, they'd be like, what do you guys do? We want to we wanna try your product. And we're like, okay, great. <laughs> Interesting, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. You know, wow, so, they didn't even know what you did. No, it, 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 it was it was wonderful experience to have, uh, you know, the more he was yelling at referees, uh, the more attention we got. <laughs> That's awesome. So what, um, what does raising look like for you guys? Are you guys on the ABC train or are you guys going for profitability? What's, what's kind of the, the long-term plan there? 
Um, I think the biggest thing for us, uh, you know, profitability we realize will come, but my, the biggest thing for us is making sure we focus on our core values. And, you know, one of our biggest mission statements is unlocking the potential of every individual. And that means a lot for us internally and externally. And so we really focus uh, more on the value we want to provide to the customers at this stage. Of course, we don't forget the revenue portion, but we are on the on the, the fundraising train because we know that if we can continue to speed up the, uh, the creation of value, it, it will provide the long-term lasting ability to, to create a profitable company. Yeah, and that's great to hear from a company outside, um, awesome. outside the valley that's, uh, uh, that's still that, taking that approach. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Um, well, how do we keep up with you and Procurify online? Um, you know, uh, in every aspect, I hope, I hope we're in your face everywhere you can find us. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, we're on Twitter, Facebook, uh, procurify.com. Uh, we have a hashtag that, uh, on Tumblr, uh, we are procurify. So if you want to see some of the quirky, uh, kind of messed up things we pull in, in our office, uh, we've got some interesting photos. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that are incriminating. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Th- thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. We have discounts on products that we use every day, like Woo Themes, Wistia, Treehouse. Go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials and get your discounts today.